Hey everyone, before we jump into this week's episode, you may want to know that it contains stories about sexual harassment and a little bit of strong language. So if that's not for you, you may want to skip out this week. Other than that, let's go. Welcome back to In the Know. I'm Luke Diamond. And I'm Tiffany Bowie. And we have a new voice in the studio today, Dylan Anderson. Hello, Dylan. Why, hello, Luke. Why don't you tell the people what you cover? I cover uh, the administration of the university, specifically the Board of Regents and the president. And um, you and Tiffany have been working on a story for the past few weeks. Uh, Where does that story begin? I think the best place to start this story would be about four weeks ago inside a small classroom at the Humphrey School of Public Affairs. So um, I think Ryan kind of previewed a little bit that we have a a relatively serious matter that we want to share with you. The person talking is Carissa Slaughterback. She's the associate dean of Humphrey. It's not ideal to hear the things that I'm talking about. The event is part of orientation for first-year graduate students. She tells the students gathered in front of her, hey, what you're about to hear might be difficult, so feel free to step out. Then she says, So, um, in spring of 2018, we had complaints of sexual harassment related to two faculty at the Humphrey School, and the complaints came from two different students. Slaughterback said that in spring 2018, two Humphrey students had accused separate professors of sexual harassment. The complaints were unrelated. The complaints were filed with the University's Office of Equal Opportunity and Affirmative Action, or the EOAA. It investigates claims of sexual harassment, among other violations of university policy. After the investigations, it produced two reports that found, in, in both, both of these cases, cases, and I'm going to just use the, the specific language, it is more likely than not that the professor violated the university's sexual harassment policies. What does more likely than not mean? It's the official language the EOAA uses when investigating if there's a policy violation. It was enough in these cases for the professors to be disciplined. And according to a letter of discipline written to these professors by the dean, the Humphrey administration ended up putting both professors on unpaid leave. Who are these professors? The first professor is Jason Cow. He teaches urban and regional planning with a focus on transit. The second is James Ron. He's affiliated with both the Humphrey and the U's political science department. His focus is in human rights, and he's a well-known name in the field. The administration decided to suspend Cow for eight months, and Ron was suspended for five months. But this fall, they both resumed teaching classes. They're both teaching classes this fall? Yes. There are some restrictions on their interactions with students based on their discipline, but they still teach and have office hours. What do we know about the allegations against Ron and Cow? So the amount of detail we know for each case is pretty different, and I'll talk about why our reporting turned out that way in a bit. Everything we know about Cow's alleged behavior comes from a letter of discipline Dean Laura Bloomberg sent him. The supposed sexual harassment outlined in this letter spans summer 2013 to spring 2016. According to the findings of the report, he allegedly engaged in unwelcome behavior. He made sexual jokes to a student and told that same student they, quote, should be submissive. The report later says Cow dropped by the student's house because he was, quote, in the neighborhood and invited them over to his house while his family was out of the country. While the student was at his house, Cow told them to sit next to him while he worked and occasionally prodded them for attention. 
He also directed the student to touch his leg muscles to see how, quote, strong and big they are. Which he does not deny doing. The report says he would sometimes show his muscles to students to motivate them to exercise. Cow did deny some of the allegations made against him, but ultimately the EOAA found the student's testimony to be more credible than his. And that's all we know about the details of that case. Yes, uh, we spoke to Professor Cow at his office and he declined to comment for the story. Some urban and regional planning students we talked to said that the student who was allegedly sexually harassed by Cow wanted very little to be public. They wanted to keep their anonymity. And what do we know about the other student? <clears throat> Testing. Okay. We know a lot more. Can I, what did you have for breakfast this morning? I had a vegetarian breakfast burrito and coffee. This is Nora Radke. She gave me and Dylan a call one night. At the time, I'd just gotten out of a night class. I checked my voicemail and it says, my name is Nora Radke. I was sexually harassed. Give me a call if you want to talk. We meet her at her partner's house and sit down at their dining room table. Nora's partner is right next to her the whole time. We're kind of just making small talk, but it's clear she's really nervous and wants to get going. And what does she tell you? Nora started at the Humphrey School's Masters of Human Rights program in the fall of 2016, which at the time is a brand new program. Around then, she meets Ron, who was the co-director of the human rights program. Her dream is to do research for Human Rights Watch, which is this internationally known non-governmental organization. And at that time, Ron becomes her advisor. He also had these incredible connections to Human Rights Watch. It's like one of the top organizations mm-hmm. in the world. And so when I met him and um, when he was assigned as my advisor, you know, I was done with that. I was very excited um, to get to know him, to learn about his work. Nora takes Ron's class in the fall. And then in the spring semester, she takes Ron's capstone class, which works for Human Rights Watch because Ron has connections with that organization. It's right up Nora's alley and she loves it. Then Ron announces that next spring, there would be another opportunity to work with Human Rights Watch. You know, Jim and I had had a positive relationship and had worked closely together with this class. And so when we um, you know, went to Human Rights Watch, presented our findings for the, the capstone, and then he offered me a research position after that. Ron hires Nora in May 2017 as his research assistant for the survey project. And financially, it's a great opportunity. Nora had come to the Humphrey School without any financial aid. She paid for her first year out of pocket, and this position pays for her tuition, pays a living wage, and has great health benefits. And it's a step towards her dream. So, of course, I was like, sign me up. Of course. And we had, he was a good profession, professor. We had had a good relationship. So we worked uh, throughout the summer and the next fall up to May of the next year. And it was that next year, that's when those, the personal and professional boundaries really started to blur. Toward the end of summer 2017, around the time Nora is just starting her role as Ron's research assistant, Ron is going through a divorce. And he talks about it at group meetings for the survey project. The only people at these meetings are Ron, Nora, and two other members of the research team. The way the report describes it, the group regularly discussed their personal lives. One group member said they all had a friendly relationship. But Nora said Ron was inclined to overshare in conversations. And the things he said and the way he acted towards her made Nora really uncomfortable. In what way? One of the first things Nora told us about was how Ron asked her to come over and cook for his kids in January 2018. He was going through the divorce and struggling to make easy recipes for his children. She agreed because she said she didn't feel like she could say no. 
The report says another time, Nora and Ron were getting lunch, and Ron tells her he met this woman online, and he was struggling to have sex with her because he's just been through a divorce. Later, Nora is in Ron's office, and she asks him how he's doing. He tells her he did end up having sex with this woman he met online. Nora told us she did not think of her and Ron as friends, but even though she felt uncomfortable, she didn't feel like she could push back. This is the person who could take away my tuition. This is the person that could fire me. And then I don't have I don't have any other like financial aid backup. This is a person who controls my health care. Um, this is a person because of this like pays my rent. I would be totally fucked if something happened with that relationship. This is a person who is my academic advisor. This is the person who is my professional reference. This is the person that I've like committed to work with. So again, like, I just really want that to be clear, just how much power that he had. In spring 2018, Ron was still feeling the emotional impact of his divorce, according to the report. His therapist advised him to create a weekly routine to motivate himself. So he asked Nora to set aside Thursday mornings to get coffee with him. Nora is not okay with this, but like before, she doesn't feel comfortable saying no. In March 2018, she decided to reach out to Associate Dean Slaughterback for help. A meeting is assembled with Humphrey leadership, Ron, and Nora. According to Nora, Humphrey admin says it's time to redraw the professional boundaries. Nora is your student. You can't ask her to do all these things for you. And how does this meeting affect their relationship? For a while, things seem to go well. At this point, Nora is preparing to fly to New York with her capstone class to present their findings to Human Rights Watch. This is a class Ron taught in the spring. Things come to a head in early May, one day before she's about to leave for New York. At a group meeting, Ron, Nora, and another member are discussing a post-grad research position for Nora, which would be created using Ron's research funds and where he would be her direct supervisor. Then they leave the meeting and walk to their cars. And then he said, can I tell you something like off the record? And he said, if it hadn't been for your boyfriend, I would have asked you out a long time ago. And... I don't know if any of you have had moments where like your life just changes in a second. Like it felt like the ground opened up and it's like every weird feeling, every weird like uncomfortable moment. And then with a few of like the highlights moments, like sort of all threaded and connected together instantly. And Nora thinks, oh, this is what this has all been about. This has not been about my academic work. This hasn't been about my professional development. This isn't about my professional future. This has all been about you being romantically interested. At this point, her gut reaction is to respond positively. So I tried to just like get out of that conversation as quickly as possible. So we left, you know, he walked away. Like I saw him walk across the street and then I got on my bike and I'm shaking. Um, just because like that's, I mean, it's over at that point. At that point, for me, it was over. Nora reaches out to Associate Dean Slaughterback again, who is required by the university to speak up. So Slaughterback files a report with the university. Dean Laura Bloomberg calls Ron and says, you can't go to the class presentation in New York. And he says, I have a ticket, and I'm going to go visit my family. I won't show up to the presentation. But Nora said she didn't know how he was feeling, if he would show up anyways. She weighed this against the opportunity to present in front of Human Rights Watch, the organization she dreamed of working for. But she decides there are too many unknowns and she won't go to New York. By not finishing her capstone, she ends up getting some incompletes on her academic record that year. It's supposed to be her last year of grad school, but she never finished. 
he texted me that day. That was the last communication that we've had. He texted me that same day and said, I'm sorry to burden you with that. Please don't tell anyone. At this point, how long is this case taken? So the alleged sexual harassment starts around January 2018, and Nora reports her concerns to the EOAA in May 2018. Ron's suspension begins in January 2019 and lasted five months. So this all happens in a span of about a year and a half. And where are things now? We tried to get an interview with Ron. Uh, We ended up having to communicate with him through a spokesperson, and he sent us a statement. Should I just read it? Sure. The complaint filed against me by an adult graduate student elevated personal conversations to a claim of sexual harassment of a verbal nature. While I now see how these conversations were inappropriate, the student herself told investigators that I was not a predator, but that I did not fully understand my position of power in an academic setting. The university investigated the matter and issued sanctions that the university believes were appropriate. I accepted these sanctions and have a better and clearer understanding of the boundaries of the professor-student relationship. With this matter now behind me, I have returned to full-time teaching cognizant of not only how conversations of a personal nature, particularly with students, can be misunderstood, but of the boundaries that should be maintained between professor and student. I find teaching extremely rewarding, and I am glad to be back re-engaging with students and the faculty at a professional level. Uh, I am neither an advocate for him, nor am I a monitor of his behavior. We talked with Raghi Assad, one of Ron's faculty mentors that Bloomberg assigned to him as part of his post-suspension discipline. Assad is a mentor figure that Ron will meet with about once a month to discuss progress on a professional development plan. It outlines what Ron is going to do to address his behavior and is approved by the dean. On this plan, Ron has readings about sexual misconduct in the workplace and on college campuses. And my sense is that uh, he's actually interested in doing those things. It's not just something that's being imposed on him. And then I asked Assad, are these readings enough to address the alleged sexual harassment? Uh, I think they are, but the whole process that we have gone through, not just the readings, not just the professional development, but also the mentoring, also the sanction, also the awareness that that has happened. So that whole process, uh, I think, is sufficient to ensure that this is not going to happen again, at least on his part. To Assad, Ron's behavior was a misunderstanding about appropriate professor-student relationships, and he characterizes Ron's actions as an error in judgment. Do you think he's, like, remorseful for what happened? I think he do- he is quite regretful on what happened, but he also says it is being exaggerated in many people's minds who are not aware of the details. So Ron is back teaching, but what about Nora? Is she back at Humphrey? She goes back to classes for a bit during fall 2018 after filing the report. She went back to expand her network and her skills. If you think about it, her life has been filled with Ron's influence and his work. She took classes with him for two years and worked with him for a year. She said that after filing that report, her connection to Ron's network, including Human Rights Watch, was severed. So emotionally, she's dealing with what happened last year, and she's also looking for a job. And the stress just piles up. It was just scrambling. It was panic. It was anger. It was pretty angry because it felt like a lot, and it felt like all of this was connected to making the decision to report And then Jim's actions that had just felt like so selfish. Nora ended up dropping out of Humphrey. She eventually finds a job in civil rights where she's still working today. She said she really likes it. She's even training to support survivors of sexual violence. 
She hopes her story will contribute to a bigger movement of colleges preventing sexual harassment rather than just reacting to it. Would she ever go back to finish her degree? She said yes, she would. The human rights community isn't just gyms. It's mine, too. I joined that first cohort for a reason. It wasn't for him. You know, I wanted to be a student leader, and I wanted to support this program, and I want to support other people who want to do human rights work in the United States and from all elsewhere. It's a great international community, too. So it's like the best group of people and the best professors and all working towards you know, calling out and stopping human rights violations. And, you know, for me now, civil rights violations. So this is my people. These are my people. This is my work, too. And so it's still really important to me. So when I am ready, I'll go back. This episode of In the Know was produced by me, Luke Diamond, and was reported by Tiffany Bui and Dylan Anderson. Our intro music is by J.D. Duggan. Listen to us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And also check out The Daily's new sports podcast, The Weekly Rundown, with new episodes out on Fridays. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening.